Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast. And I'm here with a local legend, an instrumentalist, producer, and recording artist. If y'all don't know him, y'all gonna know him tonight. And I'd like to give you my man, Bill Harmonic. What up, Phil? Hey, what's up, bro? What's going on? What's going hey man, how are you doing? Sure. I'm, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's Tuesday, ridiculously, but yeah. Yeah. Pandemic hasn't killed me yet. <laughs> Same for me. I'm very grateful for that. Most definitely. Most definitely. But no, nah, man, thanks for coming to my show and stuff, man. I was I am I've been psyched to talk. I know we told each other for a long time and stuff, even Sac, you know, running Sacramento and stuff in the spots and seeing you around and stuff. And, you know, we know some of the same people, but now, nah, I mean, I've been dying to talk to you and while I was doing this and it's like, and now it's here. So now I got questions. <laughs> I got some stuff I just want to know about. So sure, yeah. most definitely. So, yo, so um, tell me about, so you're from, you're born in Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. What part? Uh, Euclid. I was born in Euclid, and then I spent the the younger parts of my age, from like then to about six years old, in Richmond Heights. Okay. Okay. And I see that I've, I was reading on the bio and stuff that you basically went to a, a a concert with your mom, a classical concert, and that got you inspired to play piano. So, so tell me about that. What happened on that concert? Well, from what she told me um, was that. <laughs> Yeah, she took me to this concert, and then I started playing the melody uh, from one of the songs from that concert at three years old, and she saw that as me having an aptitude and a gift to do music. So uh, that led her to start giving me lessons at the age of five in uh, classical piano. Okay. So, so you basically learned all the Bach, uh, Beethoven, uh, Mozart. Because I, I see that you also your teacher was a, a classic pianist who was also on the Cleveland Orchestra. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a. Uh, yeah, she was a uh, Erico. That was her name. Okay. Yeah. So it was a. It was a. Yeah, while I was there, like I would go there every summer, and she would pay for the lessons, and I would have to be disciplined and. Uh, Make sure I get the pieces right before the next lesson. Oh, she's like that. She's that hard nose. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so, how long did you, you did you practice with her? Um, it was on and off for until I was twelve. Oh. Because okay. um, uh, during the summer, I would actually travel back to Cleveland, and then I would 
come back to Sacramento to to do the school year. And uh, here I would have another teacher um, where she was classically trained and she would, uh, where I would have to do the same thing I did in Cleveland. Okay. Oh, so, so, oh, so when did you move to, when did you move from Cleveland to Sacramento? I was six years old. So at the start of, I've been here since the second grade. So I'm pretty much, this is my home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so, yeah. So what, so by you being at six, were you also playing while you were in school and stuff or like high school and within the band or were you also on that? So, like, during my elementary school years, I, they didn't really have any music programs at, um, for elementary or elective uh, classes. So, I was just exclusively doing it in my free time mm-hmm. after my homework was done. But uh, that changed in middle school when uh, there was a high school orchestra and, or middle school orchestra and band class. And so, I decided to actually pick up another instrument, the violin. Okay. So Yeah. You also did some viol. You also worked on the violinist then too. Yeah. Okay. How long were you? Viol- how long were you playing the violin? Um, I've been playing the violin. Well, I kind of stopped playing it after high school, <laughs> except for you know, sometimes I used it in recordings. Like I, I played it in. I played the violins that you hear in drugs. Right. So uh, I just use it for recording now, but uh, I was. In the first, so in middle school and high school was, was really when I got good at it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what made you go back to piano? I think it was just, this is actually a wild story. Like I wanted for some, so at 15, I had this keyboard and I didn't know what the heck production was. Right. right. Like not like producing, making beats. I didn't know anything about that but i wanted to make hip-hop music because i loved rap but i wasn't allowed to listen to rap as a kid because my mom didn't like the profanity and the sexual themes and you know a rated m for mature type stuff on the on the music so uh, you so you you know kind of like one of those gospel parents where they they make you listen to everything but rap i was i was that guy unfortunately and so you know i had to sneak my rap in but I loved it so much that I wanted to do it. So I figured out on my piano that it actually had a recording setting and I would just use, they only had like five settings on the keyboard to record with. So I could only record five instruments. And when I figured that out, I just started playing the drums and just started making music myself. And that was like, you know, the first song I made on that, I was like, wow, I think I could really start doing this for real. And uh, so I just started to get better at that. Then I then uh, in my junior year of high school, there was actually this class called MIDI where you actually do music production on Reason. And that's where I was every lunchtime after school. I was in there just making beats, doing music, making songs. And, and the re- only reason why I got like really inspired to do it was because... I heard my friend was going to Lil Wayne's house at like 16 and it was like my best friend's brother. And I was like, bro, I want to go to Lil Wayne's house. So I got to figure out how to do this. And so I just, ever since then, it's just been nonstop. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a wild story, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 um, you, so would you say your thing was like a, uh, your first keyboard was like a Casio or something that you have recording on it? It was a Yamaha DX505. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. oh, oh, the DX. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice. It was something, it, it was basically, it was a cheap keyboard that I got from a uh, Sam's Club. Okay. Um, it was like $500. I got it back in 05. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and so, so like you said, you you play you're playing reason, doing your doing your crap on reason and stuff in the classroom, and you got to a point where your boy was getting ready to see Little Wayne. So he saw Little Wayne. Did you go with him? Oh, of course not. Um, <laughs> I was I was fifteen, sixteen when it was happening, and I didn't know anything about anything. I just heard Little Wayne, and that's when I. Uh, me and my friends were slapping Lil Wayne all day. That's when he was coming out with the No Ceilings mixtapes. Right. And like the Carter 2 and the Carter 3, like that was like at the peak wheezy. And so, you know, we were listening to him every day and like we were all like laughing and getting hella weak at his uh, punchlines because they were hecka funny. And so, you know, and it helped us like just translate it at the culture at the school I was at. And so we, we use it for rap battles and roasting each other. So it was like, you know, when you have all of that, um, just nostalgia uh, with with that rapper and you hear your best friend and you and your best friends are bumping that and you uh, and then your, your brother's a rapper that's going to go to his house. You know, I was like, bro, I'm going to get famous off the first song I make. I was like... <laughs> That was my thought process at 16. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, so with, so with, so is that is, now that's a big question now. So did you find your singing voice or your rapper voice first? So I was always like, so admit, I've always been singing since a kid. My mom had me in the choir, this community choir, and she would curate like, because she was a part of singing angels as a kid. So she sings and she's really good at it, but she wanted me to be involved in, in singing. So, but the, the introduction isn't even to this day, like, you know, it was with corny uh, Christmas music. So I was like, you know, I, I felt very, very shy that she had us singing like these opera and uh, Christmas carols. And I was like, I don't know if I wanted to do it, but then, I figured out playing piano and doing John Legend that I could probably get the girls at school at middle school. So I was like trying to do that. And so that's, that's when I was like, I'm going to curate that too. going to be, you know, <laughs> so you kind of went into like, be- like a, what's it? Not Lauren, like more of a Lauren Hill Drake type route where you find your um, voice and then kind of singing into it. Just brought I think, I think it was just balanced. I think it was all balanced uh, around. I think actually it was the singing first and then the rap because the singing people like singing better than rap. I felt uh, back then, and so you know when you when you want to like try to be popular at school uh, and try to get a girlfriend in middle school to be like your friends, you know you you try to be you try to hit them with the smooth voice, and so that was <laughs> that was like my mentality, you know, just to be you know the cool kid okay. at school. Most definitely. So, so, so you basically graduate. So, when you graduated, is, is that when you started um, 
um, performing around town or what got you into performing in, in um, um, Sacramento? Performing as a, so I didn't even do any performances. I was only re- like recording raps at 18. Okay. But then I took like a three year hiatus of producing. Cause I got, uh, coerced into one of those christian cults and so i i gotta like started doing production and you know doing for all this christian music but i never wanted to sing or do christian rap i just wanted to make money off music so i i, I kind of got sidetracked until like the age of like 23 which was back in like 2016 and like i was when i came on the scene i i, I was just going through a lot and i was just a newfound atheist and so i was like i could finally do whatever the heck i want so i'm gonna do whatever the heck i want and try to become this artist at like 22 23 and so i picked up my production was way better over the years and so i picked that up and then went back to the lyrics and started singing and rapping and trying to do all of it by myself so the first show i ever had was with my homie uh the, the rap nerd who uh who's like he was he's like my homie day one brother um he was the one that like helped me uh perform correctly taught me the ropes and uh he helped me perform at my first show in december i think it was december 12 2015 where it, my first show ever was at the honey hive it wasn't even in sacramento and uh it was just the first show i ever did was at this like this joint in on sunset in uh in san francisco and um people were really liking it but i I didn't know anything about lyrics and all of those things was it a a freestyle you did or was just like just it's just basically backing him and stuff (laughs) No, it was basically I got to perform my own songs, like two of my three of my own songs. Okay. Did you have did you already have those songs recorded or or Yeah. Okay. Um it was so uh I had a mixtape called Good People and I had like two songs done from it. And I just like played those and I rapped over them. And yeah, it went really well. Okay. And you been <laughs> That was like how it started. So okay, so big so the mixtape is you did have a mixtape out of good people's that you kind of you kind of were using as your 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 business card and getting your yeah gigs and stuff with oh, okay okay it's so so like you said you went to the night did is that what brought you to start doing performances in Sacramento and stuff because now I'm thinking about it I came I came to Sacramento in October 2015. So that means you're still you just starting then. Yeah, literally okay. just started off out the gate. Okay, okay. It's, and I know you're you're with the um you're with um soul soul media soul media labels um so soul life media label. How actually? That? Oh, okay. Oh, uh, that that happened a little later. Um, okay. I think uh, it happened. It was either middle of 2016, 2017. And uh, basically I went, so when I was just first starting out, 
I was just having this dilemma. Like, I want to be known as this producer, and I also want to be known as this artist. And I was like, how do I get to do both? So actually, like two months later after that, I got introduced to Soul Collective. Right. And um, it was through this, uh, the slaps, you know, the beat, uh, the little, uh, it was like a beat showcase that they had. Um, actually, no, wait. Was that the, Yeah, it was around that time. But there was a beat showcase where I really got to show myself, but there was a there was a ZFG album release, right? Where uh, basically, like they had Homeboy Sandman, they had I think they had um, Richie Branson. Uh, it was Duratner and me, and oh. ZFG for the uh, eight oh eight mixtape. Yeah, yeah, I saw and, that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. So that was actually the first time I did So Collective. But I, I remember Soul Collective because uh, when I was in high school, uh, I went to high school with Dre T, which he was the big thing on campus when it came to rap. Like, this dude was, like, amazing, amazing. And uh, after that, I would just, I, I stayed connected briefly with him on, on and off. And um, it was, hmm, trying to remember. So, yeah, he would always talk about uh, Penny for Your Thoughts when he had that open mic. And so I would see it intermittently, but I was in the Christian music scene. So I was like, I see it, you know, I scroll past it. But that's really, I kind of heard about Soul Collective um, through that. And so when I actually started entering, like, through the ZFG album release concert and Slaps, uh, that's really when I started to enter into the Sacramento circle. And I, I saw what uh, soul collective was doing for the community and just how great uh, of a culture for arts that it was in Sacramento. And I was like, bro, I want to be a part of this. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so when you did that, when you did the ZFG um, mixtape did, and um, did ZFG recruit you? To be on their to be part of their squad, or did um, Andrew recruit you to be on their squad, or was it like longer, a few a few years later or something, a couple of years later? Actually, it was it was that year. Uh, I can't remember this time, but I'm quite sure that he did. Uh, um, he he did invite me because to be a part of that, yeah. There's there's like a certain. Uh, I think there's like a I wouldn't call it guideline, but there's just something. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, you can't just say I'm ZFG crew. You know, you got to kind of be initiated into it. That's what I figured. Cause I mean, I know, I know it's, I know you, uh, um, uh, Russell, Russell Cummings, uh, 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 Paul Willis. I know y'all ZFG, but I also noticed that y'all, that you and, and you and Paul Willis are, are on, and even Drake T is on Soul Live Media and so and um, right. Dre T is not on ZFG. So it's like, okay, there's a difference then. Yeah. It's like like it's like connected and then there's a difference. Like, you know, um like some of us were were in Soul Life and you know there's a we do certain things with Soul Life and then you know we just just do the gorilla uh arts when when it comes to like ZFG. Okay. 
Okay. So, so with, as I've been hearing with your albums and stuff, it seems like you basically propelled yourself on SoundCloud, got your numbers up from there, and then you got yourself on um, Soul Life Media. And then was that when Treetone Records came to talk to you or haul at you or if they saw you perform a couple of times or what was that? Um, it was just, a, it, there was just a lot of connections happening during okay. that time. So it was just like, you know, it, and really what propelled the, uh, like what propelled it more than the SoundCloud, it was the live performance. That's where I really started to see the increase in like people rocking with the boy was like when I started performing. And so I really like took the initiative to really improve uh, the quality of my performance. Okay. Yeah. And let's, 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 let's talk about that quality of music and performance that you do. Cause I started noticing that your, your music kind of sways into the late seventies, um, beginning eighties field in the playing like with like keyboardists like you know Stevie Wonder, you know Stevie Wonder's field, some some of the Gap Band with the funk and like a new type of funk feel, but then also you'll have a trap style that flows all along with it when you rap. So I know when you you're singing, it kind of flows into uh, I wouldn't say um, I would not say you you go into a um, what's his name a John Legend type feel. I think you'd be more looked into like. Semi Barry, um, Barry Wright, more um, Stevie Wonder type in all your production and stuff. Is that what I, what would you say yourself is? Well, it had to grow into that because I was, it, when I was like doing good people, I was really heavy into the Kanye and into the hip hop. Okay. But, but, but the, through, through the samples that I would hear, I would start loving the music that he sampled. And then, and then, then I got really brought back to my roots, which was Stevie, which was the seventies psychedelic soul and funk and and uh, rock, classic rock, and things of that nature. But it, it that wasn't actually like it wasn't my initial route of of the career of the direction I wanted to take. But then I started. I don't know what happened, and then I was like, bro, this music is it's hitting a different alchemy me and i was like this just sounds better than any of the shit that's out right now and i was like I don't, it's like i'm hearing like i feel the soul and just there's just so much power in it and i feel like um outside of of hip-hop of conscious hip-hop i felt like there was just something an element that was missing and i feel like more and more as time would go on that element was starting to fade to to really deteriorate from the original inspiration um, from the 70s. So, so and I started noticing that while I was listening to your music and stuff, I started noticing a lot of, you have a lot of social, you, you have several social justice songs, not only, not only on the government, but also on, you know, dr- drugs, on um, life and just self-preservation with all the things, you know, like how you basically have on your one of your songs where you basically uh, on drugs where you base or no let me go on underdog. Long time no see, how's the music thing? Oh my, have you grown in the times have changed? Looking at me like you never cause. When you talk about you know you're trying to make you're trying to just survive, even though people are you know people are, people may be 
wanting to see you like, oh, try to be a groovy, but you's like, nah, man, I'm trying to survive just like you are. You know, you, you also have that Andre 3000 trying to explain the situation to somebody who just does, just, just, just loves you for the music. I mean, that's why I see it all the time stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like really tapping into myself and like trying to find who I am mm -hmm. and using my art to to really dive into that inner work, into that just that um, inner part of myself that I didn't know existed. Even the same thing with, with Good Day and stuff. Like I, I somehow I think Good Day is almost a little bit of homage to Ice Cube's "Today Was a Good Day." You just you just try to just, just make it through the day. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it'd be like that. Yeah, I, I I started noticing there's a few songs where I can I can see where it's like 20 rounds. I know that's a true that's a that's an ode to um, Stephon Clark, which mm -hmm. is a hard hitting song. I I, I I dig that you did that. Uh, um, dope Dope Man and Drugs. That's one of the ones that always cracked me up because it's like you're still you're still trying to inform people. Yeah, we we out here in the street. We still do this, but we're not doing it for the way you think we're doing it. You know, right? Yeah, there's not a. We're not doing it for criminal reasons. We're doing this because these reasons, are, or we're trying to keep our minds from. We want to keep our minds high because there's so much other other bullcrap we have to deal with on a daily basis. So right. yeah, so I always that's one thing I did dig about the social justice part of it. But I did notice one song that always cracked me up, um, and I liked it. I liked I play, I play that song every time I DJ and stuff. Is your song Energy? Baby, I can feel your energy. Yeah. So with energy, it, it's a powerful song. You know, it's, it's very move driven and stuff. But I didn't notice the sound. It's almost like that Alina Barrett, um, um, Gallimaus, yeah, yeah. Gallimaus song, um, "Can I?" or just the whole Urban Flora, Flora album. Did you know yeah. what you got influenced by? Yeah, definitely. I was like, there's such a great vibe to this. And I was like, bro, I was like, let me, because usually that's what I'll do is like, if I want to learn like a certain sound, I, I go, basically, I try to understand the very nature of it to add to the catalog of production and so that's what i was doing with the philharmonic album was like you see a lot of different genres but it's really just me exploring like what can i really do with this talent that i have and how can i really express myself and so like i would study albums like uh, urban Flora and uh um just oldies so it was just like it was just getting to know my color palette of how i went to create albums Okay. And I, I was also looking at Neon Lights. Neon Lights got kind of got like that Bobby Womack feel to it or something like that. And that kind of drew with the whole, you know, Neon Lights. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, oh, okay, you got that. Got that. And I know it's like a, it's like a, uh, I wouldn't say like Bobby Womack, but that whole, dun, 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 you know, that, that string action and all this stuff that attitude. I was like, oh, okay, I get, I get where he's going with this. Uh, so with, um, so one of the songs that I know is one of the popular songs is one you done with Hobo Johnson. Mm -hmm. And that's Mama's House. Mm 
my mom loves me more than your mom loves you. And I really love to think that I just don't have proof. How come I'm all alone at Christmas time? And I seen the video. I love the video. I love how y'all come out and stuff. Um, what made what made that um uh, what what came first was it Hobo Johnson's um idea or was it your idea you just wanted to collaborate with each other or something? So. Well, when I when I took since we were like because we we were actually doing a lot of open mics together on the scene before uh, he blew up and and there was like back actually this was early 2017 I came up where it was like bro we got to do this song called Mama's House. And I was like, it was just like, I just heard it. I, I can't, I think it was either in, in January of 2017 or March before everything happened. Okay. And I also noticed that you, you actually even played on his offbeat style with your drum, with your, with your clap patterns and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So even he knows it's like, I'm not going to be right on. Right on the on on the two, I'm gonna wait a little bit and give a little bit of a delay because of right. the style. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but I, that's still, I, like, I like that. Like I said, I like the when you, when you basically when I brought that album off you, I was like, oh shoot, this is a nice album. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> no doubt. Thanks for thanks for having one on me when I basically when I got it. <laughs> it's like, yo, man, when did that come out, man? I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. But but rapping for DJ Premier. Oh, how was that? On some on the real, bro. The scariest moments of my career were on Sway. Hands down. Like, because like it, it was just amazing to me how I even got there. Right. And literally it was because Sway was throwing this uh event. At the Ironwood Hall at South by Southwest, and uh, you have to get there hecka early in the morning to be able to be uh, to be included in the cipher. So, you know, that was the first thing that I did. So the cipher, like, I I just that was such a a dream come true. Honestly, that was probably I would say that's like my favorite part of career so far was those moments and it's like dang it's like i even just what it was like the first time that i actually saw it dang i'm really making my dream come true here and um like after i stepped off the stage and people loved my sound i was like it was just euphoric and i, I so I, I waited after the show uh to go talk to sway and he was like yo bro you, you are amazing man when you come to new york like holla at me and so I had a show booked in New York that summer, and then I got to do Sway on actual Sway in the morning. And then I got invited back for Doomsday, which that's where I got to do DJ Premier, and that was crazy. And when I heard like two weeks prior to the event that DJ Premier was on it, bro, I can't tell you how much I practiced. I can't <laughs> tell you how hard I went into the paint. And so like, that when when the moment was happening, bro, I can't. Uh, man, I was so nervous, man, like so nervous. <laughs> but I made it through, and it was really good. Probably best year ever. And you got props, and you got your props from the premiere and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I saw I saw the video that it, uh, you went. You like you were you're in the zone. You're in the zone. 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, bro. Hey, he's in the zone. <laughs> so, so you also produce a you also produce for a lot of um artists. You produce for Justice. You produce for Anya's. I, I think you did. Did you do a song with um Andrew yet, or on his on his production? I've done some stuff with Andrew, yeah. Yeah, and then also you did, I, I think you also did um uh one song on Guardians for Paul and um Paul Willis. So I mean, so what is it about uh production that you and do you enjoy working with, you know, I mean, beyond just working with your stuff, do you enjoy like working with other people and just going, you know, finding out where their heads at or where they're where they're going with? I've actually grown in that area cuz Sometimes it's really because after doing production for a lot of people over a lot of years, it was burning me out. And like, I, I felt like it was more of a job than a, I was doing it for enjoyment. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was like, but then I got tired of working on my own stuff. And uh, then I, that's when I was like, I kind of want to get back into the collaborations and producing for people just to sharpen my iron in that area again. And so tell me about how you, is your do you mostly like bring the beat to them already or in process or do you just just see what they got and then just work from there? Well, I had a lot of beats in my repertoire uh, when I when I was working with Justice and when I was working with uh, like Andrew, for instance, I did his from scratch, um, just working with him on, on the record. Like he would send samples to me and then I would flip them okay. and, and uh, try to like soup them up. With Paul Willis, there were there were things where I was like things that I wanted for myself, and then I didn't want them for myself, so I gave him with Paul. So he <laughs> he basically he got like like create was one of them, like whatever Paul touched of mine, he he completely like I'm just really proud of the outcome of it. Like I, I made several beats for him um, back in the day. Um, and I'm, I'm like excited to keep on working now, especially after everything I've learned in production in in that area. But, um, it's, it's now where I'm at now because I've spent all my energy on this new record that I'm working on for the last like two, three years. I haven't really been able to, to have any beats in the, in my, in my catalog. I have to make everything from scratch now. So and the the new uh, the new album that's not out yet, but uh, I see you, you put out some like three or four songs already. What, what yeah. what's the new one called? Or have you not found a a name yet? Um, it's called Transcendentalism, and it's the first. I feel like it's going to be the first of three albums. It's going to be a trilogy, um, and this one's called The Fall of Rome. Okay, and I'm, I'm assuming most of it since it was during the time of of the Trump era is mostly going to oh, yeah. be really influenced on, on that heavy influence on that and stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so being that you're from Sacramento and you, how do you feel the Sacramento scene gets is just due or is it always, it's always being overlooked by, you know, because of um, Oakland, uh, Los Angeles, that people don't people either come here and they try to go one of those routes, like you know, they, some rappers here will try to go the Oakland route and try to be like them, or or some people be like go that, or they just leave and go to L.A. or something like that. Do you think Sacramento sound? What do you think about Sacramento sound? Do you what do you feel about it? I think it's Sacramento, and that's what makes Sacramento great. 
But and it, I think okay, okay. No, I was gonna say, but do you think it's being overlooked because of all the other, because the other group, other um, cities and stuff? I think uh, before this era, right? Because when you get into art, of course, you you have the dilemma of wanting to express yourself to the fullest and to not work at a job you hate. So there's a survival element to it. Sure. So it's like some times we'll make industry sounding or bigger city sounding stuff to try to get to the level where we don't have to fight for survival. So, uh, but that's literally typically every, uh, every inner city issue when it comes to art. But I feel like with, with this city and I haven't seen this in any other city, especially with, with our generations. Uh, I mean, I would hear the, the narrative prior to the, the generation um, where we came on the Sacramento scene, where it was, you know, just everybody's competing and nobody's really rocking with each other. It's like, I'm competing against you and I'm only, I'm going to put my city on and not help anybody around me because I, my, my head's in survival mode. But I feel like with our generations and the generation after that, even more than us is that we're really on the collaborative spectrum. Like we've literally destroyed the capitalistic competitive mindset, which I feel was very, very toxic to actually having a really solid community and a really solid art scene. And so what you're seeing even now during the pandemic is that even, even despite all the BS that's happening in the world, especially locally, you're seeing a whole bunch of artists on this grid, just making this really dope bomb mass music. And it's like, it's not something I've ever seen from any city. This is what other cities try to act like they're doing, but they're not doing. And so like now, I, I think we're stunning on everybody. I don't think anybody could touch Sacramento, to be honest. Nobody. Most deaf. Most deaf. But yeah. no. Nah, so I, I have one, I have two more questions, but this one always cracks me up. So on your song, um, pay me and then also on your song cancel me I, I was seeing a little bit of a jab there <laughs> oh yeah so it's like you like some stuff was being put up like you, you're basically like going at somebody or just hey you don't like what I said cancel me so I was like oh, okay 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 and it, the trap sound I mean you you were definitely on you were definitely on your on your road man I, I, was, right. I was digging it I was digging it but no doubt but being that you're a hip hop head, I have one last question. What's your top five rappers? Oh man. Hmm. I will put Jay-Z at number one. Okay. Kanye West at number two. Okay. And we're talking about exclusively in rap. If we're talking about culture. I mean, if we're talking about the quality of the music and we're not talking about lyrics, I would actually put Kanye West as the greatest hip-hop artist ever. Okay. Um, just, I'm talking about in total when you talk about when you talk about the complete product. Um, just about just how he advanced the sound. But if you're talking about rappers and lyrics and wisdom and, and wordplay, Jay-Z's definitely at number one. He's the master teacher. Um, Kanye West at number two because I can really relate. Number three, hmm. I'm not because I because I came into the game. I, I would say J Cole at number three. 
And and I know that for a lot of people there will be like, What? He's a corny mother No, no, bro, he's a light worker, like for real, for real. And like he brought me through heck of hard times. And like the things the, the way that he says things with the with the level of observation uh that he has of the world is like you can tell when when lyricists they don't come and do it for the cloud or the fame, they actually do it to tell their story of how to elevate to a higher consciousness or, or a higher self. So I have to put J. Cole at number three. Um, number four, I got to put Kendrick. Um, this is not really a particular order. I, now I'm thinking about it. I can't really That's put fine. it in there because it's like, I like, I like with Kendrick. He is a, a masterful album making storyteller. Also a, a, a person of high consciousness. And I'm not talking about your typical conscious rap. I'm talking about you really tap into the to collective consciousness, to the higher universe. Um, and the way that he's able to mesh genres within that is something that I haven't heard from, from a lot of people in a very long time. Number five, um, I would have to put Common at number five. Oh, okay. Common at number five. And... Um, because it just because of being water like, like water for chocolate, you just listen to those records to just you just hear the legendary in it. Um, I mean that's my top five for now, but it always rotates. Any depending honorable, on how I've, any honorable mentions? Um, definitely honorable mention for um, I mean, Lauren Hill, but we put her in the R&B or the hip-hop category. Well, definitely. We can put her in there anyway. <laughs> so, well, I was looking, but since I was, since you were saying that, were you, is it, like, Kendrick Lamar, is it the um, Pimp a Butterfly that got you, or was it, you know, it was a damn, or even with, um, or even with um, uh, J. Cole, was it, you know, K.O.D., or was it um, Force you know, Force Drive, or even with, like you said, Common's album was Water for Chocolate got you, right? What what what, what revved you up? So if you want me to go, through, I could go through all the five artists of, of like most, really most the, definitely, most definitely. Okay, with with Jay Z, um, I will say that his best album is Four Forty Four. I will I will nice. argue to the death of it, and I'm not like I'm not old, against the old stuff. But it's like he he tapped into the OG wisdom that this generation really needs when it comes to um, just money, when it comes to helping community, when it comes to diving into to to your uh, you know working doing that shadow work because you never hear you never hear that part from Jay Z when it, when it you know but he's he's always been on that elevated uh, consciousness understanding philosophy on a, on a level that. Uh, not not many people uh, are familiar with, and you have to be a really good observer. So, four forty four is one of them. I really like the Black album uh, because of the beats, and of course, Reasonable Doubt. Reasonable Doubt is just crazy good. It's just, but I, I think the other honorable mention I have to put honestly was Watch the Phone. Um, I think my favorite lyrics actually come from the first track on there, No Church in the Wild. You know, um, there's just a lot of songs where he, his perspective and the way he says things, it, it may, you have to go back and rewind it. It's like, it's almost like reading scripture. 
You know, like you have, oh, yeah. you, it's like, you can't really just read it once and say, I know exactly what I mean. No, you have to, it, it's like the decoding of a message is, is like, it's, it's really fun. You know, it's like, it's unlike anything I ever heard of. Yeah. Um, Kanye West. What's funny is that the dude's catalog from start to prior to his last two records has been incredible. Um, I would say from from college dropout the Yeezus, I think those those six albums were just if you take if you put that into a collective body of work, I feel like that is some of the best work I've probably ever heard from an artist. A best streak. Um, graduation really got me through some rough times. I'm honestly not a big fan of 808s. I know a lot of people are going to be like, "What? What? No, I'm just not feeling it." <laughs> uh, I've never, I've never considered Kanye a singer. I never think he will be a good singer, and I think that honestly ruined the album. I understand why people think that it had a big impact um, when it came to sound design and the direction of of hip hop and current mainstream pop music sonically. But when it comes to the lyrical content and to the wow factor, I just don't see it. Um, However, when he came back with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, I feel like he fully came into the legend that he always thought he was. Um, that album is, is one of the greatest uh, hip-hop albums ever. And um, just the, son the sonic, the people, what people thought about with 808s is exactly what I feel with um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I really feel like he took the sonic level and the lyrical level and just uh, he just took it to a legendary level it, it belonged in the 70s in a certain way it's like the 70s came back but but with the current with the current like fusion of sound design that nobody's it's just it's just beyond this realm i feel and Jesus, Jesus was one of those things that grew on me i hated it when it came out <laughs> uh, back hated it. I was like this is trash I was like what the sonically it's terrible but then you start to understand and listen to the lyrics over five years and you start to do because as a musician you you know when you start getting into music you want to hear all the beautiful sounding things right but then you start to realize that within that sonic realm when there's a lot of musicians playing those same chords it gets really boring really fast. So you want to hear something of an avant-garde nature. You want to hear Jesus where it doesn't make any sonic sense. You want to hear, this is where it's like, when, for instance, I never liked Bitches Brew by Miles Davis five years ago. I was, I, when I listened to this, and I, I know this sounds like blasphemy, <laughs> but when I heard this, I was like, what the hell is this? What is this? I, I can't understand this. Why is this? It's just like, it just sounded like a bunch of notes, but after the fact that you get so bored with the current fluctuation, the current cadence of music and the same chords being used over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it, that's when you get Yeezus's and Bitches Brew to make entire sense. They make complete sense. And I listen to them religiously now. You know, I listen to both those projects incredibly 
Um, and also Kanye, that Yeezus album is hilarious. And it's just hilarious. It's just like the things he says on it. It's like, you wish people, you, I wish I would say some of those things. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what about Pablo and Yay? Yay, I felt understanding because I took antidepressants at a really low point in my life. Mm. I was like, I could hear the, I could hear how the antidepressants literally took him away from the sacredness of the creative process. And it was like, you know, it was just like I just could hear the, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to release it. It was like he was personally emotionally detached um, in, a, in an antidepressant type of way with uh, Yay. And um, with, with Pablo, there's too much incompletion. I feel like it was good at really good at certain points, but I feel like there were a lot of songs there, and especially in the production and in the recordings that were half-assed and incomplete. And I start to see this kind of trend with Kanye where I'm starting to notice that really after, I feel like uh, Yeezus was the last, like, they say that was incomplete, but I, I disagree. But I think everything after that has, has actually shown a progress of incompletion. It's almost like me trying to create on ADHD, which is actually very hard. So I give him credit to actually even put that out. It takes bravery. Right. But at the same time, it lo- it's very lackluster and in a lot of aspects. So, so have you heard Jesus is King? I have heard it. What do you think? What do you think about his attempt for a gospel album? I think it was, I think it was good. And then I, I was like, um, but because it's because Christian music, to be honest, bro. Because I've been in that industry for a long time, it was really corny to me. You know what I mean? And I was like damn, I've heard this like 50 million times, but I do appreciate the fact that he doesn't try to go super conservative with it, but mm-hmm. conservative enough where I still slightly cringe at it. <laughs> Which because, hey, bro, bro, when you have the trauma from being in church and being in that realm and you hear that shit after leaving it, it, it you're not going to want to listen to it. So no, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't really put the blame on Kanye for it. I'm just saying my experience doesn't really align with me liking this, this album. And it's like the only Kanye album I'm not really with, you know, but in, in aspects like I really like, um, what's basically Gandhi, Yandi. I really love that album to be honest. Like that was basically what the album was supposed to be. But, and it's like, I heard the leaks on the, I heard the leak on the, uh, on YouTube, and I was like, I actually like that version of it a lot. Mm. Like, I was like, I don't understand why he didn't release that one over, uh, ye- uh, over Jesus King. Okay, but that's just my personal opinion. So, <laughs> so my art. <laughs> true. So, um, going into um, uh, 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 Cole J Cole, uh, yeah, KRD. Which which album resonate with you? Two of them is um, uh, Force Hill Drive. And the other one after that, For Your Eyes Only. For Your Eyes Only might be is my favorite record, I feel, out of all of them. 
It was a deep, deep darkness of shadow work. I could hear on that record. A lot of grief. A grief I relate to on a personal level. Even to like, uh, it's just like, and of course, like, you know, there was a song, there's a song called Change and uh, Changes, which really, really hits my spirit. It's really uplifting. It really helps me. Um, Forest Hills Drive. Really like to hear, to hear Jay Cole tap into that. It's like I was hearing an artist's rebirth. Like, because I heard like the first two albums and I like Jay Cole. Like, I like Jay Cole before that. But when he hit that Forest Hills Drive album, it was like, it's like, you know, when an artist has the potential and the talent, I feel like, but, most times they never reach it right with him it was like it was those albums were what fans wanted and he actually gave it to us it was like it's like the type of lyricism and the legend that we saw from j cole that he had the potential to have it but to see him actually fully accept himself and to walk into that is like you know it's probably one of my favorite nostalgic experiences in music ever because it was like, yes. I was like, I was hoping this day would come. And it, and it did. I was like, wow, this is beautiful. And so, yeah. Right. Props to J. Cole for that. For real. You know? Definitely. So, Kendrick, which one? Good Butterfly, um, Mad Kid, um, Mad City, or, or Good Kid, Mad City, or Damn? I think... Um, my favorite record by him by, by by far is the Pimp a Butterfly. I feel like him and um, J. Cole were on the same level of consciousness and inner work. Because the Pimp a Butterfly, as much as it is a social justice album, it's more of a Kendrick fully accepting himself and understanding that like he's he's leaving the cocoon actually to become the butterfly and loving himself accepting and embracing his experience both of the traumas and the triumphs and it's like when you hear that from an artist coming into the full acceptance of self it's the most revolutionary thing that an artist can do and i feel like damn is just it's it's like every piece of art that comes from that album like what what happened with j cole or what happened with um kendrick with uh with j cole's forest hills drive or kendrick with to pip a butterfly I really think those those records they were made around the same time, released around the same time. They were on that same plane of self love and acceptance that I feel that listeners really needed for healing. And so, when you hear that record, especially being a black man in America, to hear an artist talk about overcoming the obstacle of systemic racism and mental programming from the grave, from the from the uh, womb to the grave. And, and all the abuses on personal and systemic levels to come to the point as an artist in an industry that thrives and preys off of abusing black artists and their art, uh, to hear that type of self-love and that proclamation is some of the most revolutionary things I've heard in music. Those two albums. It's just, it's like what we needed to move into the higher level of consciousness that we know collectively as a human race, we have the ability to achieve. But it's like to hear that level of love and self-acceptance was inspiring because it helped me to do my own inner work as an artist and as a person. Okay. 
and just last but not least, common. So you say from um, um, tastes like um talk talk like chocolate, but what about electric um, electric circus and even even um, what's the B and then even now his la- his latest one. So what 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 rivals with you with that? Um, it's actually coming to the full understanding of self. Um, when you listen to these artists, it's their, their art is their therapy. So they're asking all of the questions of why they feel certain ways. And they come and give the bits of wisdom that we, that help us on our journeys to grow and heal. Like for, for, uh, common, that album was beat. You know, when you hear the, the song love is, which is my like favorite record by him or it's your world like that shit is really revolutionary brings me to tears when i listen to it and um and you just hear like when you once you tap into that the message has to repeat because people really need to hear it and um to hear that from from common you know it's just i feel like with water for chocolate he tapped into it a little bit and but it was really more on the social justice side, talking about black people more as a whole. But with uh, Electric Circus, I didn't really connect with as much. But when it came to B and everything after that, it's like you could tell when the artist fully accepts who who they are. And I think with B, it was a full acceptance, and it came with a level of wisdom that people really need for the healing they seek. And every album has been like that from now on. Because while, they, because while they're making albums after coming to their fullness of self, now it's just experiencing the life journey and transforming reality and manifesting a new one for yourself. And it's like, that's what every project from Common, J. Cole, uh, Jay-Z, Kanye, that's what I feel that it's been doing. So I've noticed that the ones that you enjoy... They do like B has a heavy Kanye production. Um, Watch the Throne has heavy Kanye production. Um, even Kanye's album stuff. And what what is it about Kanye's production that catches you mentally? Because like you said, they, all his all this the songs that are played, plus also the people he worked with, you can see that it has a it has a projection. And then it kind of fell through. But what 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 about Kanye's production that has charged you? I think it's the way he uses samples and he pulls from the old. Hmm. Because he, he it, it, it is it's the way it's what it's the type of it's the like segment of sample that he uses and how he uses the samples. He's one of the few artists when I listen, he's the only artist when I listen to a sample that he pulled for his production that I wanted to go back and hear the original song. And every time I've heard the original song, I started loving it. So basically through Kanye samples, I was crate digging. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there, there's a... He, he was, he was, so he was your, just to have that. He was your DJ man that made you want to get into it. Okay. <laughs> Most yeah. definitely. But no, nah, man, thanks for talking with us, man. Tell them your social media, where they can find you and stuff. Uh, you can find me at the Philharmonic on Twitter, on Facebook and IG and uh, all the other ones that I don't check that much, but it's spelled uh, T H E 
P-H-I-L-H-A-R-M-O-N-I-K. Most definitely. Yo, so what what made you call yourself the Philharmonic? Uh well, one man orchestra, bro. I do it all. There you go, folks. One man orchestra. Yeah. The man produces, performs, has his out, get his album, his new album's coming out. Get that album too. But if you don't look, go on Spotify and check out his self-titled album and some singles on there right now. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for being on my show. Thanks for everything. We're gonna get this is gonna come out next week and stuff. I got you. I'm gonna be putting it all over. But nah, man, thanks for getting on my for being on my show and everything, man. Always, bro. Thank you for having me. Most definitely. All right, everyone, check it out. We'll see y'all later. Peace. (laughs) Peace. For more information, please go to L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Iambic Zine. I-A-M-B-I-C.